Maura Callison is Managing Director of Health Policy at American Progress, and in this capacity, she plays a leading role in America Progress health policy development and advocacy efforts. She's authored and co-authored works published in the New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA Internal Medicine, the U.S. News and World Report, and The Hill, and her work covers a range of topics including Medicare and Medicaid payment reform, healthcare transparency, and trends in employer-sponsored insurance. Also, she's testified before Congress, and prior to joining American Progress, she was an attorney with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Office of the General Counsel. She's been on the show a couple of times before in March and May. Very informative guest. Glad to have her back. Maura Kallsen. Maura, good afternoon. Thank you for rejoining us. Of course. Always happy to join you. When I look as a Democrat at the newly released bill, which 13 men behind closed doors drafted in secrecy and very quickly, um, in a sense, uh, doing what they accused uh, Democrats of doing with a lack of transparency and pushing something through and rushing and not taking their time. Um, just a few of the things I'm seeing is, one, that they really want to screw anybody who has Medicaid, and that is you know over a period of time. Uh, two, within that, states that have high opioid addiction, like Maine, and that's why Susan Collins, a Republican, you know, was you know hesitant to put her stamp of approval on this, um, are, are concerned about if they're reaching epidemic proportions that they will, if they're at that, how, how, how they, they, they're going to handle this epidemic in their state. And uh, three, eliminating the mandate. Four, allowing states to do away with things like emergency care or mental health care or maternity care. The list goes on. So uh, first of all, Maura, um, is this a full repeal of Obamacare or is it taking out things that people like about it and need about it and really give a tax break break to the wealthy, especially the wealthy insurance company CEOs and and corporations? Yes. I mean, there's so much to unpack here. Um, Just the process, what it does and doesn't do. Um, What's sort of interesting about this is they kept some of the structure of the Affordable Care Act, um, but it's really just an excuse. I I think that the fact that they're calling this the ACA repeal bill is just just outrageous. They're really not only ending the Medicaid expansion um, from the ACA, but they are completely restructuring the Medicaid program in a way that is going to limit how much the federal government can help states cover people, and it's just going to harm millions and millions of people. Uh, when we look at the harm, let, let, let's break it down, right? Um, yep. First of all, so that people understand, the mandate was necessary, uh, not just to you know make Obamacare what it is and have people sign up. The mandate was necessary because one of the reasons we needed health care reform, and I'm married to a physician, I know this very well, is that the hospitals, the ERs, were overburdened with people coming in, and they were overburdened in uh, three capacities. One, not enough staff to take care of the volume of patients coming through the door. Who, Two, when the patients came through the door because they hadn't had um, you know, preventative checkups, you know, annual checkups of preventative care, they came in at critical mass. So, they, so not only when you have one person who's critical – you know, that, that takes a slew of individuals away from the rest of the, the people. So uh, longer wait times, which can result, as we saw with the VA, with uh, many more problems, health-related uh, problems. Also that there were less health care professionals to provide for the slew of people coming in the door. And hospitals closing, especially in, in rural areas, 
where they they need the health care, you know, even more because, you know, they're they're living, you know, in impoverished conditions in many of these rural areas. Uh, so th- this is we're just basically going back to one of the original problems with just that individual line item alone, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and the mandate not only really helped, well, the mandate along with um, especially things like the Medicaid expansion really helped hospitals. And um, the most of the hospitals that have been closing in rural areas are in states that did not expand the Medicaid, uh, that, that did not expand their Medicaid programs. But I think the thing that people also don't realize about the um, individual mandate is that it's part of, and I'm sure you've had people talk about this before, um, sort of like the uh, the ACA you can think of in terms of the individual market reform, so the private market, not the Medicaid piece. It's sort of based on three legs of a stool. You have um, what we call guaranteed issue in the health wonk world, which basically means if you apply for insurance, you can get it. You can get it the same terms as everybody else, and you don't pay more because of pre-existing conditions or how healthy you are. But if that's the case, then you need to get more people into that insurance market because you need to spread out your costs. And so that the mandate helps that too. And then if you're going to require everybody to purchase insurance, you also need to help people afford their premiums and their cost sharing. And that's what the ACA did in, in giving people advanced tax credits to help pay their premiums and for lower income people's additional help in paying their co-pays and things like that. So, you know, the CBO basically said that next year it could be we could see premiums go up by 20% just because the mandate is not there. So it's not just I mean it's an it's a real pocketbook issue for everybody. Um, and you know I, and I think that's one of the things that I want to flag for people is there are parts of this bill that will affect everybody in America if you have employer-based insurance you're not safe if you have Medicare you're not safe. You know, this really upends the entire healthcare system, and it was done with speed and secrecy. And you know, quite frankly, Democrats were guilty of this to a degree too. And I'm a Democrat, I, you know, you know, pushing stuff through in, in the secrecy. And why is there the secrecy? Is it because the Senate, regardless of McConnell wanting to pull a rabbit out of his hat, if he gets a tie and have the vice president be the tiebreaker? We've seen them do that before. Um, but healthcare is an area where you have people. Senator Rand Paul has already said he, he's in opposition to this. He calls it Obamacare light. Uh, Susan Collins doesn't look like she's going to be on board. Um, Senators Heller, Senator Flake uh, in Arizona, um, Heller I think is uh, Nevada. Um, those are a couple. If Mitch McConnell doesn't loses two or more than two, um, th- 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 this is sunk. So is this part of the ongoing obsession? to repeal and replace, and I say obsession because when you look at the polls, even among Trump supporters, Republicans, and people in these many of these red state districts, these constituencies, they're liking this plan now. Oh, it's it's really unbelievable. It really was – it took the, the threat of having these changes be taken away for people to really understand how important um, the, the reforms that the Affordable Care Act made were for them. Um, Again, you mentioned so many different things. I, the first thing you mentioned was, you know, the secrecy point. And I do, I mean, both parties are absolutely, um, can be guilty of this. But I think one thing that I want to just mention one more time is what 
the difference between this and the actual Affordable Care Act was. There were 200 hearings and meetings. The bill was online, ready for people to see and review for three months. The markup was seven days. It was the longest markup in decades, and it was on the Senate floor for 25 days. And if you contrast that with what we're looking at now, it's just remarkable. Um, you know, I think that, yes, there's a ton of there, – there's a lot of statements and, and you know, from people who are more mo- – from Republicans who are more moderate, like Senator Heller, to those like Ted Cruz and Rand Paul who say that they oppose it. I, I think that that's – I'm a little worried about some of those initial statements. I think that it, we could be seeing something similar to what happened in the House where the bill came out and people – hemmed and hawed, and then they got little concessions late in the process, and then they were able to be essentially bought off. So I think that there's there's real concern there. Um, I also want to talk about, um, uh, you know, Medicaid, because th- this really affects so many people, two-thirds of the people in nursing homes, one in five uh, Americans. And you're not just looking at people that are impoverished. Um, states will have a, a lot more power um, to, do, to do away with this. And then, you know, on top of that, they want to defund Planned Parenthood. So let's just look at an impoverished woman, um, you know, who just needs regular female care, not even prenatal care, not even birth control. Um, it, you know, is it fair to say that this plan really screws uh, lower income Americans across the board? Oh, yeah. I mean, this bill, I think that this bill and the House bill are at their core the exact same. It gives the wealthy an enormous tax cut, and it's financed on the backs of, you know, the most vulnerable in our country. It's, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in cuts to health care spending that we spend on people who really need it. Um, and, you know, I think what what is really concerning about this bill is that, you know, they've made some modifications to the tax credit side, so it helps some people a little bit more, hurts a lot of people more. But across the board, they made the horrific reforms to the Medicaid program. I don't even like calling them reforms. They made the horrific parts of the Medicaid, of the House bill, worse when it comes to Medicaid. It is more drastic, more draconian, and will really, really harm people. Uh, when when we look at the opposition by Republicans, who is opposed and why? I think you can sort of break it down into three buckets. Um, the first are moderates like Susan Collins, Dean Heller, um, people who are from states um, that expanded Medicaid, so they're very cognizant of the benefits that Medicaid has has. Um, has helped with in their in their states, and also there's an overlap between those categories that I just mentioned, and you had mentioned opioids at, at the top of our chat, and um, that really overlaps as well. So, for example, in Ohio and West Virginia, um, you have the intersection of the Medicaid expansion really helping the state be able to um, try to help those um, with substance use disorders. So I would put those people in the first bucket, they're, they're the people who are going to be looking more closely at how many people are going to lose their insurance, the impact on state budgets, things like that. And then I think you have the hardline Republicans, um, very, very social conservatives and fiscal conservatives in your second bucket. And those are people who, like Rand Paul, who just says that this is ACA light. He wants to see us go back to the complete pre-ACA world. And then I think the third bucket are you're seeing some statements from senators 
that they're really concerned about the process. And so to the extent that they will oppose a bill because they haven't had sufficient time to look at it or they don't want to vote on it yet, I think that's your third bucket. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more. But I want to hear from you. Are you somebody who likes Obamacare? Are you somebody that, regardless of your ideology or your political party, doesn't like it? What do you think of the new plan, or at least what you're hearing from it? It was released today, finally. And what do you think of the way the Republicans are going in the Senate are going about trying to push this through? 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters, give her a call now at 888-6LESLIE. We are back. Maura Kelsen, Managing Director of Health Policy and American Progress, is our guest. And we're going to take some calls. Uh, Maura, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Let's go to our listening audience and hear their questions, their comments, or their concerns. Margaret is first up on line two in New Mexico. Uh, Margaret, thank you for joining us. Question or comment? A comment. Um, this new medical coverage, this where I live, we are 49, one, one state above Mississippi in poverty. And what's going to happen to these children and to these poor people that can't afford medical coverage? Most of the folks around here earn $9.50 an hour, and they're going to support their family and pay for medical coverage? I don't think so. I think um, it's a more than fair concern, and it's definitely a more than fair question. Um, Amora, when you look at the, uh, you know, just the number of people who could be hit by annual lifetime benefit limits, the the numbers are off the charts, but specifically um, to our uh, caller uh, and that state of New Mexico, what is the answer to, you know, her question and the concern of so many that echo her sentiments? I mean, I, I, I hate saying this, but I mean, if this bill becomes law, those Margaret's concerns are completely valid. It, it is really, really scary. Um, they are um, really risking million—I should say—billions of dollars of health care coverage for vulnerable young children and their families and the disabled. Um, I think the other thing to remember is that. Um, you know, healthcare. I I don't want to be alarmist or anything, but um, our our the Center for American Progress just came out. We um, put out an analysis literally about a half hour ago, and it discusses all the literature and all of the information about how um, health insurance and health coverage is completely linked to mortality, and you know the risk that this bill might cause to people. And, you know, I'm just looking through my chart really quickly right now. Um, In New Mexico, where our caller called from, you know, that, I think you would have about 100, you would have almost 107, I'm sorry, 140 people lose insurance. And, you know, you would just have, you would have hundreds of thousands of additional deaths potentially in the next decade that are just, they're completely, um, preventable. And I think that's just an absolute moral outrage. Okay. Let's take another call and we go to Joe in Richmond, Virginia, line three. Joe, good afternoon. Hi. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I think, first of all, I want to be a record. I do not like the way this bill came out. I got to be fair and say that it's, uh, sometimes two wrongs don't make a right, but we, we can't lose perspective. And if we're going to be honest about it, 
you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the most terrible people in the world to most liberals because I'm a, I'm a white male heterosexual that owns two small businesses. And my insurance premiums since Obamacare have gone up 250%. My deductibles have doubled. And you cannot keep your doctor. The, the premiums did not go down 2500 and, it, you know, the Obama administration said over and over again it wasn't a tax. And then as soon as it had to be a tax in order for it to be constitutional, they changed their views on the briefs they filed and said, oh, yes, it's a tax. Okay, now hold, hold so on. Can- hold on. Joe, hold on. I'm not putting you on hold because you're heterosexual, a white, or a male, but i got to take a break. We'll be back with you and our guests right after this. Don't go away. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Warwick Housen, Managing Director of Health Policy at American Progress is our guest. I'm Leslie Marshall. We were talking with Joe, the heterosexual male white guy in Richmond, Virginia, on line three. Just joking with you there, Joe. And Joe, you were talking about increase in premiums. <clears throat> I did want to ask you, is your um, insurance provided by your employer? Or is it something you purchased yourself? Well, I own the company, and I... <laughs> I chose not to give my employees the insurance because those premiums would have even gone up more than 200%. So what I do is I paid everybody a little bit extra to let them go out and buy it themselves, but their premiums and their deductibles also have skyrocketed a lot. And so I'm just I'm my, just cu- I'm just curious Joe cuz I'm a I'm a I own two businesses. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, provide health insurance and, uh, you know, have health insurance with my husband for our kids. And my husband and I are technically under that self-employed category as well. My, I have Anthem Blue Cross. I'll be completely, you know, honest. And my my premiums just uh, went up, um, you know, since the Affordable Care Act. And, and I'll be honest with you, it went up $75 a month, which when you see what I what I pay – is really nothing. However, prior to the Affordable Care Act, I would have increases sometimes two or three times a year. So I'm just wondering, did you have no increases, or did you, you know, change your plan in any way, or did your insurance company change the no, plan? No, I had very, had very, very small. What I had was before Obamacare, I had uh, high deductible, but I chose to pay that. You know, we had a five thousand dollar family deductible. Uh, and we had a $10 million cap on the thing, but I also wasn't paying for prenatal care since my wife is over 50. I don't think that's going to be very relevant. And I wasn't paying for other stuff I wasn't forced to pay for. After Obamacare, in, we get, you, know, you get thrown in into a pool of, regardless of whether you're in business or whether you're going through the individual market, you get thrown into pools of people that you weren't in before. Now, the, the, the problem, and so I went from... I won't give you exact numbers, but say I was paying $3.50 before Obamacare. I'm now paying $8.50 after Obamacare, after a couple years of Obamacare. If my business, because I have a very small business, if my business was to buy the insurance, it would have been from $8.50 to $10.20. That would have been if I would have got it through the businesses, business plans that were available. So it, it was a major, major increase. You know, consider yourself lucky. I don't know where you. I, I don't know where you are. are. You California? Are you in New York? I don't know. I'm where in you California. Are. I'm in California. Okay, okay. But you know, it's, it's the the problem with Obamacare, 
and you know we can throw cliches all around. It's two wrongs don't make a right, but also what goes around comes around. Obamacare was based on a whole set of lies. It, it was always nothing more than just a thinly veiled welfare program. I have a I have a sister-in-law who is worth probably two or three million dollars, but has no income because she's semi-retired. She was only paying $130 a month <clears throat> because she has no income, and we were, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but her net worth wasn't considered in the Obamacare subsidies. Why on earth does a person like that need to have Obamacare subsidies? Well, quite, Obamacare right, quite, frankly, with any system, quite frankly, with any system, and Joe, I, I need to get back to our guest. I do appreciate your comments, even though I don't agree with them. I can't, I can't you know, speak to your personal situation, but I can say that with any program, Unfortunately, there are going to be people that, you know, slip through the cracks or find a way to finagle a bagel. And, and quite frankly, you know, if she has that much money, I would hope somebody, you know, if I had that much money, you know, I have the integrity to go out and to pay uh, what I can afford and not to hop on to Obamacare because the Affordable Care Act more. And I'd love for you to chime in on this. Um, yeah. The reason it was entitled the Affordable Care Act was to make health care affordable a, to people who didn't have it from their employer or couldn't afford to purchase it for uh, themselves, correct? Exactly, and it was, I mean, very much, and it sounds like, Joe, you've been really, really lucky that you haven't had big health care expenses, but, you know, you don't know if you, I mean, the whole idea of insurance is to protect against those risks. Um, you know, people love talking about maternity coverage and, and, you know, some of the benefits that they don't want to necessarily pay for because they um, know they won't get it. But, you know, at the same time, I know I won't get prostate cancer, but my plan still includes it. Um, but more generally, I think the thing is, is, you know, the Republicans, since the time that this bill passed, have tried to attack it from both sides, both the left and the right. And many of Joe's concerns are actually would be solved by a lot of the solutions that people on the left have. You know, if you are if, if people are struggling to afford their their premiums, you know, additional assistance can be can be given. Um, you know, it basically they did a bait and switch because this bill, I mean, not only does it go well beyond the Affordable Care Act by completely changing a program that's been in effect since 1965, it also will increase deductibles. It will ensure that you get less for your money. And, you know, it's, it's absolutely the opposite of what will fix the problems that Joe was mentioning. Um, I, I, I want to talk about, God, there's just so many things to, you know, cover here. And, um, I you know. know. <laughs> and the time just, you know, flies. Um, so let's uh, talk about some of that. Uh, we have covered a few of the areas, but the new Senate version of the American Health Care Act, known as Trump Care, um, there, there are people out there on the left calling it a moral abomination. Uh, the DNC does. Um, they call it cruel. Uh, even crueler than the House version. Um, uh, would you agree with that? And can you talk about the difference between the Senate version and the House version? Yes. I mean, I, I, I agree completely. Um, I think that the biggest issue, the biggest difference um, is the Medicaid pieces. And they essentially um, accelerate the, they make it very difficult for states to keep the Medicaid expansion, um, and they effectively end the Medicaid expansion within the next, you know, three years. And in addition, they also um, cap funding for some of the most vulnerable people in the country. They cap 
how much the federal government will spend to help states provide care for the disabled, for the elderly, for children. It's, it's, you know, it's basically going to make states have to make some terrible decisions about, okay, are we going to pay for these benefits or are we going to cut benefits here? You know, these people need a lot of home-based care, but we can't afford that. So what does that mean for our state budgets? And uh, it's, it's going to have a ripple effect on the economy, too. It's just, it's, as you said, I, I know that I'm giving these long-winded answers, but there's just so much to talk about. And, you know, you get going on one point and, you know, you start thinking about all these other things. But um, I would say the other thing is it, is it, in addition to being much worse on the Medicaid piece, um, it changes the structure of the tax credits a little bit. So, again, you know, there are some winners and losers compared to the Senate bill. However, in all cases, I don't think you have, I'm sorry, the House bill, I think that we have to compare it against what is the law now, not House versus Senate. It's Senate versus ACA. And, you know, take, for example, Alaska, which is one of the kind of states where Senator, where Senator Murkowski has voiced some concerns. You know, if you are making and she's up for re-election, right? And she, so that's why she's one of the people concerned. I mean, if you are 60 years old and you earn about forty-two thousand dollars, you'll end up having to pay close to eighteen thousand dollars more each year for coverage under the Senate bill. So anybody who says that there's real daylight between these bills is is just fooling themselves. This is just, if anything, it's meaner. But and I don't want to say anything good about the House bill because that was also a moral abomination. Let's go to line two. Dean in Buffalo joins us. Dean, question or comment? Um, yes, I just want to start off by saying great show is out as always, Leslie. Um, this is a frustrating thing. After eight years of hearing the Republicans cry and complain, they have and they had all this time to come up with a alternative plan. They do nothing, and the people that they're hurting are the people who voted for Trump. So I don't know how Trump could live with himself after turning his back on and lying to his base. Well, his, you know, interesting, Dean, thank you for your comment. Um, I, I, I think we can all agree that his base and his buddies are the people who run and own uh, these insurance companies and are getting the uh, tax break. Would you agree with that more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think that Dean is correct in that there was a real bait and switch here. I mean, a lot of people who said that they wanted to repeal the Affordable Care Act wanted to repeal it with something far more generous. But, but by um, the way, by the way, sorry to jump in. Majority oh, people no, no. didn't. Majority people didn't want to. Um, replace it. They just wanted no, to fix, fix it. it, and it doesn't yeah. fix the very things the people were concerned with being fixed. Exactly. It is. It is. Um, as I said when I was responding to the gentleman from Richmond, it 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 makes all of the common complaints about individual market insurance and small business insurance and exacerbates it. I also want to talk there about who it does a benefit. This would wreak havoc upon middle-class families, senior citizens, people who are modest, lower-income, impoverished individual. Same time, it gives a huge tax cut to billionaires and big corporations. This yep. this model is the Republican model for almost anything with regard with that as a dollar sign next to it on a budget sheet, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that just um, 
in addition to corporations, it also specifically like helps drug companies. It gives them a massive, massive tax break. And um, it, it helps if, if you are a corporation or if you have billions of dollars and you've never had to worry about health insurance, this bill is for you. Let's take a call. Uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, Maria joins us on line three. Hi, Maria. Question or comment? Hey. Good afternoon. Hey, Leslie. I, I actually have a comment. As you know, I am a Democrat, but if there are any Republican Americans listening and are happy about this bill because they're happy to support Trump, they better remember that they are not immune to anything that we're losing. They're going to lose it, too. And I think that's very important. You know, they're, 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 the Democrats, you know, independents, we have people who are on, on these programs. I guarantee you that there's a bunch of them on these programs, too. Oh, no, absolutely. That's, be- a very, that's a very good point. You know, a referendum on Obamacare doesn't doesn't screw Obama. He's got millions of dollars in health care. I'm sure that's yes. better than any of us. And and, yep. and and he's gone. Um, It really it doesn't screw political Democrats because congressional members have great insurance and they will continue oh, to. Yeah. Uh, by the and way, government funded, government funded, socialized, uh, you know, medicine for themselves. Um, But it will hurt. Americans, regardless if they're Democrat or Republican, because it's, you know, that's a very good point. It's not just Democrats that signed up by the millions uh, for the Affordable Care Act. And many Trump supporters like it, like in West Virginia, for example, some coal miners uh, there who, you know, supported him because of his stance on coal mining versus Hillary Clinton. But now we're like, but wait a minute, don't take my health care. I'm happy with it. You know, and my family is happy with it. It's a very good point. And as you, exactly. And as you know, Unfortunately, as human beings, sometimes we don't care about something as long as it doesn't affect us. But the bottom line on this, it's going to affect you. And that's why I, I was very clear in what I said. I'm a proud Democrat, but I also care about Republicans, too. And they have to understand we got to stop this fighting and look at the real picture that whatever you're cheering for, guess what? You're going to get hit with it, too. So I thank you. That's a very good point. Um, uh, what, what do you what do you think uh, with that, uh, Maura? Do you want to add uh, to uh, what our caller just said? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is. If people would stop fighting, there are very simple, targeted ways to improve and fix the law. And there, that that ra- that rational conversation is simply not happening. Um, nor can it when when they, you know, when the proposal on the table is just going to completely gut um, care for our most vulnerable. And also, you know, I would say the piece that's not really getting a whole lot of attention is it goes back to your tax cut question. And those tax cuts are, because because the government's not going to have that revenue, it's going to bankrupt the Medicare trust fund two years earlier, and it's going to increase Part B premiums, um, for people who probably don't even realize that this law has anything to do with them. You know, in addition uh, to your point, uh, you know, when we look at this, there are many Democrats, just uh, not just uh, Schumer, but look at Wyden, right? When he was asked, would you be willing to sit down and fix what's wrong with Obamacare with Republicans? And he said, yes, nobody's called me. I haven't had one call. And Democrat after Democrat echoes that sentiment. Even Hillary Clinton said during a debate, 
you know, financially, it's not working out the way we thought. No, but no politician wants increased premiums for their constituents if you really want what's best for them and you're not just playing political, you know, uh, you know, playing politics. And the, 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 the reality is, like you said, if people if Democrats and Republicans actually sat down, OK, and, you know, called it. The, you know, the American Care Act or the American Affordable Care Act didn't name it after any president, didn't make it partisan and work together and say, this is what is working. This is what people like, um, you know, and, and, and don't I mean, so it, 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 it frightens me to death that a state for the sake of money and we will see this happen. God forbid this goes through. We'll say, you know what? Maternity care, emergency care, mental health care. Sorry, no can do. Not in the budget. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. <laughs> Um, what do you want to say in your last minute uh, today uh, with us before you leave? Because we are uh, up against a break and the time has just flown yep. having you with us. Uh, your last words. Um, I would just encourage everybody um, to call their senators, Democrat, Republican, opposed, um, supporting the bill. They just need to hear your voices and need to know what this means to you. Yeah, very good point. The vote takes place next week. There are some on the fence. And if you are not happy about this, um, you know, just because you may be a Democrat, that Republican is your employee with your tax dollars, even if they didn't get your vote. We thank you for being with us. Um, please check out the website, AmericanProgress.org, and follow them on Twitter at AMPROG. Quick break when we come back live from our nation's capital. Talk media news. Don't go away. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. We're back. So is she live from our nation's capital with Talk Media News, Victoria Jones. Victoria, good afternoon. Happy Thursday. Donald Trump talked about tapes, kind of put it out there and was teasing, but apparently there are none, correct? That is correct, according to Donald Trump, who tweeted about this this afternoon. Oh, oh, just before uh, lunch, with all of the recently reported electronic surveillance intercepts, unmasking, and illegal leaking of information, Trump said he has no idea whether there are tapes or recordings of his and James Comey's conversations, but he declared he did not make and do not have any such recordings. So it's still out there somewhere that somebody could have made a recording, but he didn't make any, and he doesn't have any. So, so in other words, he was. So in other words, he was bluffing, and yes. and, and and some call it bluffing, some call it lying. Is he bluffing or lying in the tweet? Who knows, right? Well, well, there's a sort of trolling of the intelligence community in the tweet. Amazing. The commander-in-chief, yes. whose number one job is our security, in which they would come over the umbrella of. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, talk about well, what is the Democratic reaction to this uh, tweet, uh, uh, to this uh, uh, no-tape existence? Yeah, there? Representative Adam Schiff, who's the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, is saying, no, nah, it's not good enough. The White House must respond in writing to our committee as to when he, whether any tapes or recordings exist. And he says, we're going to continue to pursue the matter with other witnesses so the public can be assured that if recordings were ever made, they'll be preserved and made available to the committee and ultimately to the public. 
Okay. Well, let's talk about, you want to do latest on health care or Supreme Court ruling next? Let's do the Supreme Court ruling because you're doing health care, uh, you know, pretty I just thoroughly. did it for an hour, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled today that, and this has a big implication, that a naturalized immigrant cannot be stripped of their citizenship for making false statements during the naturalization process that are irrelevant to an immigration official's decision to grant or deny citizenship. So, like, when I became a citizen, if I lied um, about something small like a traffic ticket or that I belonged to a, to a cat lover's club, uh, they could not deny me citizenship for that, Elena Kagan said on behalf of the court, saying, look... That means that prosecutors would have nearly limitless leverage and afford newly natural. Yeah, espe- yeah especially because if somebody says like me, like I'm 5'2", and I am, but who knows if I really still am, you know, or how much you weigh or, you know, that kind of thing. Victoria, thank you. Victoria Jones, live from our nation's capital with Talk Media News. I'm Leslie Marshall. Always more to come on The Only True Democracy in talk radio. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.